just a little bit better. Take our Bibles this morning and turn to 2 Chronicles, Old Testament, chapter number 33. 2 Chronicles, chapter number 33. I do want to remind you what Brother Nate mentioned. Be sure to get you one of the I Prayed stickers on the way out the door. And I want to encourage you to put that on before you go into the voting booth. Uh, Voting is important. That's part of our duty as an American. Uh, But praying is part of our duty as a Christian. So let's be sure we're praying and let others know that we've done that. And you continue to pray for our country. Uh, The invitation today, we're going to have an opportunity for you to pray. The invitation tonight, by the way, tonight will be our first Sunday night back together all again. Uh, We'll have an opportunity to pray again at the conclusion of that service. And we're just going to ask God to work his will in our country. 2 Chronicles chapter 33. We're going to pick up in verse number 1. But let me reiterate something that I posted on Facebook last night. I want to thank our church for everything you have done for me and my family over the past month. Uh, Pastor Appreciation Month, as they call it, is always an awkward time for pastors. Uh, I honestly do believe a pastor came up with it. You know, only a pastor would do something uh, as low as that to come up with his own holiday, you know. But I do appreciate everything that was done for us, all the gifts uh, that were given. And I have been playing with my blowgun, been having a good time with that, and excited about the hunt will be going on very soon. But I appreciate everything that was done as far as just letting us know uh, little things that we have, uh, have meant to you. And I assure you, you've meant a whole lot more to us in the uh, 18 months we've been here. So thank you very much for that. Second Chronicles chapter number 33, look down to verse number 1. We'll remain seated this morning. And we're going to read uh, three verses, and we're going to come back and read a few more as the message progresses. And what we're going to do is read the beginning of a story, and then we're going to jump to the ending of the story, and we'll pray. And then we're going to preach about the middle of the story, if we could. The Bible says in verse number one, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem. Now look down at verse number 10. We're going to read the conclusion of this part of his story. The Bible says, And the Lord spake to Manasseh and to his people, but they would not hearken. Wherefore, the Lord brought upon them the captains of the host of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. When he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. Let's stop there and pray. Father, I do thank you for your word this morning. And I thank you, Lord, how much this passage has meant to me and spoke to me. And Lord, I pray that we'd not only hear it today, but be changed by your word. Uh, Lord, I've already told you many times this morning, Lord, I need great grace in the preaching today. Lord, there's no way I can do this of myself. And I just ask, Father, you give us what we need. Give us liberty and recollection and grace and, Lord, presenting what you've sent. And Lord, I pray for those that are saved today, we'd be challenged by your word. Help us, Lord, to be changed when we leave here today. And Lord, if there's someone here today, Lord, as often is the case, Lord, who's not sure about their salvation, uh, Lord, is not sure they have a home in heaven, have never trusted Christ as their Savior, I pray, Father, you'd make that known to them today in the message. And I pray that, Lord, during the invitation time, they'll come and trust you as Savior. We do lift up our country to you today, and we just ask, Father, that... Uh, you'd keep your hand upon us, that you'd guide us and lead us, Lord, to be obedient to your will and way. We might reflect, Lord, who you are and the God that we say that we serve. For it's in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you haven't heard, uh, in just about a couple of days, there's going to be an election uh, here in the United States. Uh, I think even the most uh, removed of us, maybe from technology or from television or the news, every one of us knows well enough what's going to happen on Tuesday with the election that we're about uh, to have. 
And it seems like everybody is giving every sales pitch on why you should vote for them. And uh, i be honest with you, I think uh, both sides of the aisle stretch the truth from time to time in order to convince us uh, to believe what they would have us to believe and to vote in their direction or in their uh, decide for them. This morning, I have something I want you to think about. Uh, elections, oftentimes, we think about the future. That we're going to elect someone on Tuesday, and that person is going to decide the future of our country. And that's a lot of the sales pitches that have been made. That if you vote for this guy, then we have this future in front of us. And if we vote for this guy, you're going to have this future in front of us. But as true as that is this morning, oftentimes we fail to neglect that, yes, elections do give us an idea of what our future is going to be like. But to be honest with you, we will find out on Tuesday what our present is very much like. Because an election oftentimes is a lot like a mirror. It shows us for who we are. Yes, it's deciding what our future is going to be, but Tuesday night I want you to understand something. We're going to get a mirror image of exactly who America is today. We'll get a picture of that on Tuesday night. And as much as we're deciding what our future is going to hold, we're going to find out a lot about ourselves as those election results begin to pour in uh, on Tuesday night. I was thinking about something I do every year, or I try to do it every year. We go on vacation to Disney World or Disneyland, and uh, there's a light pole that I go to. And I put my right shoulder up against this light pole on Main Street, USA. And I've done this since my daughter was in a stroller. And as my wife would come around the corner there where you can see the castle at the end of the road, I would always video my wife and daughter coming around that corner. It started when she was a baby in a stroller. She thinks we go to Disney World for her, but the truth of the matter is we go for us and she just has to go because we don't want to leave her with anybody. So she just gets to go because we want to go. And so she's been going since she was in her mother's belly. And then when she was one year old and then all the way up now, she's 13. We've done it in Disney World and, and in Florida and Disneyland in California and so I will stand there at this particular light post every time we go and I will video them coming around the corner because my daughter used to say the castle the castle and she's just getting all excited about it and that's where you knew as a dad your chest begins swelling up like yes I did this I made this happen you're the best dad in the world and she's just all excited about it and there's the characters and whatnot she doesn't get as animated as much anymore because you know when you get 13 you try to you know restrain your enthusiasm a little bit I told her she'd grow out of that sooner or later and then she'll get fun again as she gets older you know we just don't care what people think anymore isn't that great when you get to that place in your life where you just don't care the older I get the more I love it but every year I'll film her coming around the corner one day some of you tech gurus I want to get you to splice all of my videos together that was my goal one day I want to get all of those videos and splice them together and watch my daughter grow up as she comes around the corner what's neat is as I watch those videos uh, every year I get a new snapshot as I watch those videos I get to see different stages of her life and I get to see how she's grown and how she's changed and she started off in the stroller and now uh, now she can carry your mom around the corner I mean she's just about as big as her mom is but I get a snapshot every year and as you look at those snapshots you can see changes that have taken place because they show you exactly who she is now that's what elections are going to do Yes, elections are a lot about our future, and they're going to show a lot about who we are going to become. But to be honest with you, this morning, elections show us exactly who we are. And on Tuesday night, we're going to get to see exactly who America is. Here's something I want you to understand. Tuesday, the election will not be decided, if you will. The election's been being decided for the past four years. 
We're just going to find out on Tuesday night who we've been becoming over the last four years of the current administration that we have. And this election is not going to be decided then. It was slowly decided one decision at a time over the last four years. Now, at the end of Tuesday night, I hope it's over on Tuesday night. I mean, wouldn't it be nice not to have to watch any more of those advertisements anymore and get over the stress and just pull the Band-Aid off one way or the other? I'll be glad when it's over. But after the election's over, you're going to have all of the talking heads. And they're going to analyze who won and how they won. And then they're going to analyze who lost and how they lost. And they're going to start going through all the facts and figures. Carl Rove is notorious for his dry erase board. I don't know if you ever watched him. And he's sitting there with his dry erase board. And he's showing you all the ways that this guy is going to win or this guy is going to lose. And to be honest with you, I can't tell you who's going to win and who's going to lose. But somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose. I'm sure about that. Unless the Lord comes back. If the Lord comes back, I'm going to win either way. Aren't you glad? I want you to listen to something. As they get ready to figure out who won and who lost, they're going to start going backwards. And they're going to start dissecting how one person won and how the other person lost. And they're going to show you how he won in this group of people or how uh, he won in this group of people. And slowly but surely, they'll show you how one prevailed and how one did not. Now, what does that have to do with what we're reading this morning? As we're reading this passage about a young man by the name of Manasseh, Manasseh was a young man who became king, notice verse number one, at 12 years old. Can you imagine your 12-year-old becoming a king? I cannot. Uh, Now, they may do better than some of our lawmakers today. I don't know. They may have more common sense, uh, but uh, that's beside the subject. Manasseh became king, verse number one, at 12 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem. So he got off to a good start. But we notice in verse number 10, verse number 11, the Bible says that he did not hearken unto the Lord, verse 10, verse number 11, wherefore the Lord brought upon them captains of the host of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. What we're seeing is a downfall of a young king. He started off at 12 years old, and now here we are just a few verses later. He has met his downfall, and as we read the verses between verse 1 and verse number 10, we begin to see the ingredients that brought about his downfall. Now, folks, I want you to understand something this morning. Regardless of what happens on Tuesday night, we'll be able to backtrack because hindsight is 20-20, and we'll begin to see how things unfolded the way they're going to unfold on Tuesday night here in the United States of America. I hate to tell you this, but there are many hallmarks of downfalls all throughout Scripture that are prevalent in our country today. We can read the patterns and the examples of those who have lived long before us, and we can find out what brought them down. And I hate to tell you this today, but many of the hallmarks that brought them down are prevalent in our society here in our country. Sadly, many of those same traits are in our homes And many of those same traits have made their way even into the churches. Now, this is what's frightening. If we don't realize where we go wrong, and we continue to take the same steps that led others to their downfall, can we be surprised if we do not meet the same fate? I believe this morning that as our country prepares for an election, regardless of what happens on Tuesday night, hindsight's going to be 2020. And I hate to tell you this, but many of the steps that have led to the downfall of other nations are already within the fibers of our country. Now, what can we do about that? Well, we as God's people have got to learn from the mistakes of others. 
I'm a middle child. How many middle children do we have here this morning? Middle children, we're the best. Amen? We're the best. I thought I had a little more amen out of that. Maybe you're where you weren't. I've tried to be a pretty good kid. As a middle child, I had an older sister. I learned from her mistakes, and I had a younger brother. I learned from his mistakes. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't get as many whippings as I needed, but uh, I, got, I didn't get a whole lot because I tried to learn from others and learn what brought them down, and I learned not to do the same thing because I didn't want to get brought down myself. Now, God gives us an example here in 2 Chronicles 33 of this young king and how he met his downfall. And I want to show you this morning five simple things. I know that's way more than we normally do, but they're small things, okay? I want to show you five simple things this morning that you can know whether or not you're on your way toward a downfall. By the way, can I tell you today, that's what Satan desires for you. Satan desires to bring you down. Satan desires to bring your home down. Satan desires to bring this church down. And Satan desires to bring our country down. But if we don't realize what are those steps that lead to a downfall, then we're going to follow along in the same steps of those who have walked right off the cliff with us. So this morning we're going to look at this subject of how to diagnose a downfall. How to diagnose a downfall. And I hope this morning none of these things are prevalent in your life. But we're going to follow the young life of Manasseh and see what brought him to the downfall we see in verse number 11. So let's go to the beginning of the story. Verse number 1, the Bible says this. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. So far, so good, right? And he reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem, verse number 2, but, but did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, if we want to make sure we're going the right way, we've got to go back in the life of Manasseh and see where he went wrong. And the place that he went wrong is clearly evident in verse number 2, where the Bible says that he decided to do things that were evil in the sight of the Lord. Can I tell you something this morning? You're always going to get in trouble when you start deciding to do things that go against what God has already said not to do. And so notice number one this morning, the diagnosis of a downfall, it begins with our decisions. It begins with our decision. Now, stick with me this morning. This may seem simple, but I want to show you something. Outcomes result from actions. And actions are the result of what? Decisions. And so if you don't like the outcome of something, you've got to change the action. Is that correct? And if you want to change the action, you've got to first go and change the decision. The basketball personality, Dick Vitale, he says this, life is simple. Make good decisions and good things happen. Make bad decisions and bad things happen. So if you want to change the things that happen to us or the outcomes that come our way, we've got to change the decisions that lead us to the outcomes that we no longer like. Now, folks, Manasseh, his very first mistake was deciding that he knew better than God. Now, I fear this morning this is something we've got all too accustomed to in our country. Manasseh's downfall began when he decided that he knew better than God did. And that he could make decisions for his future outside of what God had already established or where he should live by. And I fear this morning that's entered our homes as well. Too often we see uh, our families end up in demise and our families end up in a downfall. And it's because we decided to take matters into our own hands and decide things that God had already made clear for us and how we should live our lives. I want you to understand today that when you come to the place where your own ideas override God's, you're on your way to a downfall. We see Manasseh's downfall. The Bible says he was caught among the thorns, and they bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. Why? Because he decided that he knew better than God. Now, be honest with you, that's tempting for all of us. How often do we decide that we know better than really what's better for us? 
I've been good. Monday will be four weeks that I had a change of life. It's not a diet. It's a change of lifestyle. I've been doing pretty good until yesterday. Now, they tell me you get a cheat day. I don't know where that's written yet. I've been trying to look it up, figure out which doctor said that's okay. But they tell me you can have a cheat day. Last night, I'm sitting on the couch, and I had some of the leftover fall festival snacks. And those brownies were so good. You know me. I'm a brownie guy. And I'm sitting there, and I made a, I made a deal four, four weeks ago. I'm not going to eat brownies after 9 o'clock, all right? I set myself a boundary. But I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking the longer it sits there, the harder it's going to get, and it's going to lose its lusciousness, and it's going to lose its moisture. And I'm thinking how good that would be, and I'm sitting there. My wife is going to bed. My daughter's going to bed. I'm sitting there studying. I'm thinking, you know what? I've done good for four weeks. I deserve a brownie. Amen. I deserve a brownie. Man, it's been a busy week, had a busy day, and had all these things going on this week. I just deserve that. You know what I did? I did something against what I knew better. I knew better than that. I think I can feel that brownie. It's about that big. I can feel it this morning. It's right here. I mean, look, it didn't get burned as energy. It got converted into fat. You know, that's what fat is. It's just extra calories. It didn't burn. And so it puts them in a storage container called your belly. And I can feel it. But I knew better than that. I knew better than that. You see, that's what's happening when you give yourself bad advice. And how often do we end up in a downfall? A downfall in our homes. A downfall amongst our children. A downfall of our churches. And a downfall in our country. Why? It's because we give ourselves bad advice that overrides what thus saith the Lord. Look, folks, there's not a whole lot of thinking involved. God did all of the thinking for us. Aren't you glad? Man, I'm trying to raise a teenager. I've never done that before. I mean, I have a 13-year-old daughter. She's a pretty good kid, but I've never raised a teenager. And I'm trying to figure out how do we do this? Because, you know, I like to be a cool dad. You know, none of us want to be the the minivan dads just yet. I'm not there, you know. And I want to be a cool dad. I want to be a dad that she has fun with, and we go and do things together. But I also want to be a dad who raises her in the nurturing avenue of the Lord. All right? Because I'm going to give an account to God for how that child turns out. The Bible says train them up in the way that they should go. That means it's my job to give her direction. And so I'm thinking, all right, what am I going to do? She's getting to where she's asking some tough questions. You know, folks asking you about life and about your future in college. I says, look, you're only 13. Don't be talking about college yet. One day when I get married, oh, don't you go there. Don't you go there. I'm going to have to live the rest of her life after she's married knowing she's married. So I don't want to think about it before that day comes. That just does not excite me to think about my daughter. I only have one. For you folks who have a lot of kids, you can afford to give one away. I only have one. I don't want to give my one away. It's my one little lamb. Isn't there something in the Bible about taking a man's one lamb? Listen to that, guys, who may be in here interested in my daughter. Don't take the one little lamb that I got. Figuring out how to raise this teenager, and I'm scratching my head. That's why I had the ball spot there. I don't know what to do. Aren't you glad? There's a book that tells us what we need to do. He's written it down. But oh, how we get in trouble, Mom and Dad. We start deciding, you know what? I think I know better than God does. I can let my child do something that goes against what the Bible says because you know what? That's popular, and I want my kid to fit in. Look, I don't want my kid to be a stick in the mud either. But I do want it to turn out right more. So you know what I've got to do? I've got to make sure that my decisions are God's decisions. And God's already decided a lot of things for us. Think about Eve. Eve was a part of the first downfall in the history of the world. The first downfall. She brought down a perfect world with Adam. All right, don't get mad at me after the service. Adam was in on it too. All right, he was a conspirator in this whole thing. But where did that downfall occur? Well, God had told them what to do. 
And they decided they knew better. God says, don't touch it. Don't look at it. God says, I know better. Just believe me. I'm God. You know, God can tell us that because he's God. He knows better. And all we have to do is listen to what our father tells us. But all of a sudden, we get too big for our britches and we say, you know what? I think I can override God. That's the first step on your way to a downfall. Manasseh had it pretty good. The Bible shows that Hezekiah had left him fairly set, and yet he decided that he knew better than God. How many times have I said to my wife, how many times have I said to preachers and others, when you make a mistake and you're like, I knew better? You ever said that? I knew better? Come on, let's be honest. We've all done things that we've known better before. Uh, I was playing with my blowgun in the house the other day. And man, I'm having so much fun with that. I'm practicing on Coke cans where I can get squirrels. You know, when the, when the apocalypse happens and ammo runs out, I'm going to have a blowgun. And you're going to come to me to buy squirrels and rabbits and cats and whatever it else is that's left here to eat. All right? So I've been practicing so I can supply protein to our church. You're welcome. So I'm out there yesterday, and I'm, I'm shooting cans, and I got tired. And so I decided to go in. I'm just going to shoot it from the couch, you know? Uh, so I go, I go in, and my wife says, look. You know, don't shoot it in the walls. I know better than that. I don't know why she said that, but I know better than that. She says, look, I have this stuffed pumpkin here. Shoot the stuffed pumpkin. And so I'm sitting on the couch. I'm nailing it. I'm almost splitting the darts. Well, she had three pumpkins there. One of them's made out of straw, and it's a little bit softer. She said, don't shoot that one. It's softer, but you can shoot the stuffed one. And so I said, all right. Well, she left the room a few minutes later. I said, you know what? I think I could shoot that and just do it lightly. Man, I shoot that pumpkin with my blowgun. The dart not only goes through the pumpkin, it sticks in her picture frame. A bamboo dart, and it's stuck in her picture frame. And so she comes around the corner, and I'm in there trying to pull this dart. What are you doing? You're going to ricochet and hit the pumpkin. No, before she walks in the room, I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking to myself, I knew better. I knew better. If my wife says, she has this uncanny ability to say, be careful, it might rain cheese tomorrow. If she says it, it's going to happen. My wife says, be careful, you don't want this to happen. I tell her, shh. Or be careful, you're going to fall out of your deer stand. It's going to happen. My wife has that uncanny ability to do that. She walks in, I'm trying to pull it out. You know what happened? I did something that I knew better. I knew better than that. And how often do we get ourselves into mistakes because we decide. It began with a decision. We reach an outcome that is unfavorable. We don't like the outcome. And it doesn't feel good. But the outcome was a result of an action. And the action began with a decision. And the decision oftentimes it leads to a downfall as when we decide to overrule God. Can I ask you something this morning? Are you living or doing something this morning in your life that's going against something you know better that God has already said better? You say, you know, I, I know it's just a small thing. It's an innocent thing. It's not that big of a deal. But be careful this morning. It's those little foxes that spoil the vine. It's little by little that our poverty comes when we overrule and override what we know God has said. So number one, how do we diagnose the downfall? Well, it begins with our decisions. There's a reason, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, the Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You know what that little word all means? It's really neat. It means all. It means all. Do you know why God said all? He didn't say trust in the Lord with most of your heart. He didn't say trust in the Lord when you can't figure it out. He trusted in the Lord with all your heart. Why? Because we need God to make our decisions. 
We need God to, in all thy ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. Even in raising teenagers. I remember when I walked out of the church after getting married, I was excited, but I was also numb. Oh, my goodness, i got to take care of this girl. You know, i got to provide health care for her. i got to buy groceries. i got to keep the air conditioner going. i got to provide a car for her. Oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? Can I tell you? It's amazing what the Word of God has in here to how to take care of the things that God has brought into our life. But we've got to let him make the decisions. So number one, notice we see him making his own decisions. But here's something interesting that happens in verse 2. You've got to see how this works together. Verse 2, the Bible says, But did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, now watch this next part, like unto the abominations of the heathen. Now this is interesting. You see, when you start making decisions... Here's what happens. You start connecting the dots of your decisions, and now you have a direction. All right? You ever play connect the dots? Some of you, it's been a while. You know, that's what we do when our wife is asking us all those questions, and we know she's asking for a reason, but we can't figure it out. And we just keep answering questions. You know what she's doing? She's trying to establish a direction. Because the more dots you have, the more of a plane that you're creating. So watch what happens When you start making decisions outside of God, the way you can see a downfall, number two, it is seen in our directions. It is seen in our directions. Whether Manasseh realized it or not, the Bible says in verse number two that his decisions were leading him in the direction of the heathen. I'll tell you this morning, you better be careful. You ought to pay close attention to the decisions you're making in your life and just to see where those decisions are leading you. Because decisions add up over time to create a pattern. It's, it's something funny to a lot of folks, but I am unashamedly old school. All right? Let me tell you why I'm old. I'm talking about in my, in my doctrine. My style, not at all. All right? I'm up, to, I'm up to speed when it comes to style. I mean, if you saw me on Friday night, by the way, did you know I created the vest that I was wearing? I sewed it with hot glue. There wasn't a stitch in that thing. I stowed, Do you know there's hot glue for fabric? I did. I'm sitting there in my floor, and I cut all that thing out. I was pretty styling. Now, in my style, I'm not necessarily as old school. But boy, can I tell you, in my doctrine, I'm very old school. Now, let me tell you why. I'm very wary of any step that carries me closer to where God has brought me from. I'll let that sink in for a second. I'm very careful. I'm very weary. I get picked on a lot about it by, by my buddies, and that's all right because I'm kind of old school in the way that I believe, and I'm very careful and cautious when making decisions and new fads and trends. Be careful getting caught up in fads and trends, particularly in your walk with God. Fads come and go, but the Word of God will remain forever. So be sure you stick with that. And so I'm very careful about the decisions I make. Why? Because decisions will lead you in a direction. And this morning, so often I see the people of God making decisions. They may be small decisions, but here's what they're doing. Look what he did in verse 2. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. So there's his decisions, but notice the direction his decisions took him. Like unto the abominations of the heathen. Can I give you a good litmus test on how to make the right decisions? All right? One way to judge the decisions you make is by the directions that they take. Remember that this morning. The best way to judge the decisions you should make is by the direction they're going to take you. Somebody asked me the other day, how can you be excited about any of the candidates that are running for president today? I'll be honest with you, it's hard to get excited sometimes. But here's what I told them. I'm not voting on perfection. I'm voting on direction. 
Somebody says, how can you vote for this guy? And how can you vote for this guy? Look, folks, unless Jesus is on the ballot, none of them are perfect. The last I saw, Jesus wasn't on there. If he's on there, I'd vote for him. Some of you, I'm not sure if you would vote for him anyway, but if he was on there, I'd vote for him. But watch this. I'm not voting on perfection. I'm voting on direction. You see, the decision that I'm making on Tuesday when I walk into that ballot booth is not based on somebody that's perfect. It's based on the direction that that decision is going to take us. I'll tell you, there's none of them that are perfect. But you've got to decide which direction you believe that God would have you to go, and your decision is going to set sail in that direction. Notice what the Bible says he did in verse 2. Like unto the abominations of the heathen. Psalms 1.1 gives us a pattern of this. The Bible says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Now, how often do we make excuses of why it's okay to be around ungodly company? It's okay. By the way, it's not just the living, breathing kind. It's also on television. I mean, what did it say? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. So it's just one decision. But wait a minute. What's the rest of the verse say? Nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Watch what happens. It started with a walk and then a stand and then a sit. Do you see how slowly it created a pattern of a direction. You think about Peter. You'll watch Peter when he forsook Christ, when Christ was elected, uh, arrested. You'll see that Peter, the Bible says he followed afar off. And later you find him just sitting down. Because one decision after another is going to lead in a direction. And I'll ask you this this morning. Are you making decisions in your home that takes you a step closer to the heathen? Folks, are we watching stuff on television, listening to things on our radio that takes us back to where God saved us from? Now, look, folks, she sang about it this morning. It's nothing good that we have done. It's by the grace of God. I'm not a heathen anymore. I'm a sinner that's saved by grace. All right? I'm so thankful for the grace of God that brought me out from where I was to where I am today. And we ought to be careful at making decisions that lead us in a direction that takes us back closer to where God saved us from. That's why you find people. They're saved out of some of the deepest depths of sin, have the most passion about little things. Do you know why? Because they know that decisions lead to directions to a place that they never want to go back to. So folks, this morning, how can you diagnose a downfall? Well, it begins with your decisions, and then you'll start seeing it in the directions that you're taking. Proverbs 16, 17, the Bible says, The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. You know what that is? That's the direction. He that keepeth his way preserveth his soul. That means we've got to make decisions that are going to lead in a direction of where we desire to go. Folks, listen. So many of us this morning are struggling. So many of us have downfalls in our homes, downfalls in our hearts, downfalls in our churches. And the reason this morning is because we keep making decisions that lead us in a direction toward the place where God saved us from. And sooner or later, we've got to get a bad taste in our mouth to where we hate that taste so much that we're not going to make decisions that lead us in a direction. Several years ago, I was deer hunting in Alabama, and uh, I wasn't very good with my bow at the time. And uh, I made a bad shot on a deer. And, man, it was just horrible. Bad shot on this deer. And I had to track this deer, and I hate that because I want him just to die quickly, you know. And a very, very unethical shot. And I got over there, and I saw the deer had a bad, bad arrow in it, and the deer was still alive. And I'm a soft-hearted guy. Then I sat there, 
and I, you know, I had to dispatch the deer. I think that's the correct political, correct way to say it. I had to dispatch the deer, and oh, my stomach was just sick. You know what I did? I hated I did this. I took a $1,000 bow, and I slung it into a cutover. I regretted that. I knew better. I knew better than that. Because then I had to go back and tromp through the thorns to get it. But you know what I did? After I got home from that trip, I spent hours in my backyard. Hours in my backyard practicing. Because I hated the taste in my mouth of the mistake that I made. And so the only way I'm never going to taste that taste in my mouth again is to make sure I don't make the same decisions that led me in that same direction. Can I ask you this morning, are you making decisions that are going to lead into a direction that's closer to the heathen. Notice what the Bible says, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. When I go into the election booth on Tuesday morning, I'm voting against one direction just as much as I am voting for one. I'm voting against a direction just as much as I'm voting for one. Folks, and you've got to decide this morning in the way you're living your life, the way we're building our homes, the way we're leading our children, what direction are we leading them? The things we let them watch on television, the things we, they see on the cell phones that we put in their hands at such a young age, a too young of an age. Hey, are they taking steps that's going to lead in a direction where they end up more like the heathen than the people of God? Someone said once, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Truth. Truth. Show me your decisions, I'll show you your direction. And sadly today, so many of the people of God, we keep dealing with downfalls, and we don't realize the downfalls is a, direct, is a result of our direction, which goes all the way back to our decisions. Number three, we're going to hurry this morning. The next three are quick, okay? The next thing you're going to see is something that will break your heart. Verse number three. The Bible says, For he built again the high places which Hezekiah his father had broken down. The third thing is really a result of the second thing. You see, when you're going in one direction, if I'm going in this direction, I am walking away from this direction. Hezekiah was his dad, and Hezekiah had done well, and Hezekiah had torn down all of the false gods and their altars and their groves. He had done right by the word of the Lord. He had done which was right in the eyes of the Lord. But notice what he does in verse 3. He built again the high places, which Hezekiah, his father, had broken down. Manasseh had to abandon some of the things that his dad had prepared for him. And that's the third thing I want you to see. How do you know that you're destined for a downfall and, uh, downfall and how do you diagnose a downfall? It is evident in our departures. It's evident in our departures. You say, what do you mean by that? Manasseh's dad, uh, Manasseh's dad had laid a foundation for him. Manasseh's dad had given him something wonderful. He had given him something to build upon, and yet Manasseh decided he was going to depart from that to go in his own direction. And this morning, one of the ways you can tell for certain that you're on your way toward a downfall is when you're walking away from what got you here. Notice what he did. The Bible says he built again the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had broken down and reared up altars for Balaam and made groves and worshiped all the hosts of heaven and served them. I think all of us probably went through a stage when we were teenagers to where we thought we knew better than our parents. Y'all shake your head, yeah, a little bit. 
And our parents are old and, uh, you know, old-fashioned and out of style, and they don't know about the trends today, and they're just kind of square in a, uh, a very uh, unsquare world that we're living in. But isn't it amazing the older we get, the more we realize mom and dad had more figured out than we thought they did? Come on now, let's be honest. How many of you late teens, early 20s, maybe in your 30s would nod your head, yeah, you know what, my mom and dad are not as dumb as I thought they were. My mom and dad are here this morning, so I have to be very, very careful. Amen? I think about how many times as a kid where my dad would tell me to do something, or my dad would be such a stickler about some things. Why are you such a stickler about those little things? Why are you, listen, why does this matter? This is not that big of a deal. I mean, it's not written in black and white. I mean, come on. It's just not, why are you such a stickler about those things? And now as I get older, I begin to realize it's those little things that slowly give way to the direction that leads us to become more like the heathen. I'll tell you this morning, one way you can know that you're on your way toward a downfall is when you start getting away from things that are sure and things that are established and things that are solid. The devil's very good at moving us away from things that are going to secure us. That's why he tried to use persecution in the life of Paul. Paul says, none of these things move me. What was Satan trying to do? He was trying to move him away, get him away from that solid ground he was standing on. It's going to be hard for the devil to drown you when your feet are upon a rock. Think about that. It's hard to drown up on top of a rock. If you'll stay put on what is solid and steadfast and sure, you will not drown. You see, the devil has to lure you away from what was sure and established. That's why in Jeremiah chapter 6, the Bible gives us this verse that oftentimes becomes the butt of jokes. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the way and see and ask for the old paths, where is the good way? And walk therein and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk therein. They say, we know better than our dads. We know more than them. I mean, look, it's 2020. Those things are old. Those things are old-fashioned. Throw them out the window. They're not relevant in the world today. And slowly but surely, we're departing away from things that were sure and moving in direction toward the place that God saved us from. One way you can know for sure this morning that you're on your way toward a downfall, it's evident in your departures. I remember as a kid when my dad was teaching me to ride a bike, my sister had one of those banana seat bikes. You remember those? Man, were they cool. Hers was blue, but uh, it was still cool. It had those little frizzy things out the handlebars. And we rode it when nobody was around, you know, because those little fluttery things out the handlebars were kind of girly. And back then, men were men. Back in the 80s, I don't know what it is now, but back then, men were men, you know. And uh, my dad would hold the back handle of the bicycle. He's sitting there, and I'm pedaling, and I'm thinking I'm doing it. I think I'm doing it. And I said, Dad, I got it. I got it. You know, I didn't say it that way, did I? No. Probably would have lost an eyeball or something if I had said it that way. Because back then they believed in discipline too, you know. Weird, weird concept. But so dad's holding the bicycle, he's holding the handlebars. I said, I got it, I got it, daddy, I got it. And all of a sudden he lets go. <laughs> Get back up, here we go again. Pedaling pretty good. I said, I got it, I got it, I don't need you anymore. I don't need you anymore, I got it. <laughs> it isn't that not the way we do God. You know, John 15, 5, the Bible says, without him we can do nothing. Do you believe that? Without him, we can do nothing. God says, I need to hold on to this. No, God, I got it. And we start departing away from what was sure. I was having the hand of God upon that bike as we tried to ride. And not only do we crash, we crash our homes and we crash our families. Folks, I want to tell you, obedience is not as hard as we make it out to be. I tell my daughter all the time, don't overthink it. 
All right? Don't overthink it. Don't overthink obedience this morning. We've got to stay and to stand upon that which is sure and solid. That's why he said, he said, stand in the ways and ask for the old paths. Where's the good way? He says, go back to what worked. We're trying to figure out all of these new programs. Nothing wrong with a good program in a church. But in the end, it just boils down to good old-fashioned obedience. And the reason this morning that churches are on their way down and are, are, are downfalling, it's because we've departed away from what worked. Don't overthink this this morning. If we don't want to get to the place where we lose our children, our homes, and our church, and our country, we've got to go back and get back upon what we were founded upon. And you read the history of this country, you'll find out it's God and his word. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse number 17, he says this. Speaking of Israel and speaking of the downfall that they, they met, he says, Hast thou not procured this unto thyself, in that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God, when he led thee by the way. Now notice what he says at the beginning. Hast thou not procured this unto thyself? He said, you asked for this. He says, you asked for this. He says, you're meeting the downfall and you're meeting destruction. How? He says, you asked for it when you did what? When you forsook the Lord thy God when he led thee by the way. He says, you departed what was sure and what was solid. With each decision, you got in a direction that led you away from God. So verse number three, he built again the high places. But then the sad thing is, I want you to look down to verse number four. Also, he built altars in the house of the Lord, whereof the Lord had said in Jerusalem, shall my name be forever. Not only did he depart away from the worship of God, he brought in false gods and idols. The Bible says he built altars in the house of the Lord, number four. How do you diagnose a downfall? It's reflected in your devotions. It's reflected in your devotions. Here's what he did. The house of the Lord was dedicated to God. That was his. That was the priority. That's why that was there. And here comes Manasseh. Manasseh says, you know what? I'm going to bring my gods in and put them in the place where God is supposed to be worshipped. This morning, if you want to know you're on your way toward a downfall, it's reflected in your devotions. What are you devoted to? Or can I ask you this question based on the life of Manasseh? What has replaced God in that top spot of your life? Manasseh says, I know this is the house of God, but I'm going to bring my gods up in here. And one sure sign he was on his way down is he replaced the rightful place of God. Folks, I want you to know it doesn't always have to be a little wooden carved idol. It can be our jobs. It can be our ambitions. It can be our desires. It can be our hobbies. Folks, deer hunting's right around the corner, or it's already here. How easy it is to get all caught up in all of that. The next thing you know, you've replaced that top spot of devotion in your life for that hobby that you care about so much. And we're one step closer to meeting our downfall. You look at verse 11. Don't forget what happened to him. The Bible says he was taken among the thorns and bound with fetters and carried him to Babylon. It's one thing Satan is good at this morning is he's very good at supplying substitutes. Satan's very good at supplying substitutes. He's going to give you something to put in the place of God. It may be your desires. It may be your hobbies. It may be whatever it is in the world that Satan uses. He knows how to get you. He knows how to get me. You know, when I go fishing, I have a tackle box full of lures. And it's not like my wife's tackle box. My wife's tackle box is, I don't know where she's at this morning. My wife's tackle box, I man, she's always moving around. I mean, you got to quit doing that. 
I think I'm losing my mind. I think my wife's protesting and then walked out of church. She's not even showing up. My wife's tackle box, everything is pink. I'm not joking. All the little jigs in there are pink. All the little beetle spins are pink. She only buys fishing lures that are pink. I said, honey, you got to mix it up a little bit. You know, after a while, the fish are going to get smart. Here comes that lady with the pink lures again. And sure, they're pretty, but it doesn't work. I said, you got to keep throwing different ones. Throw a green one at them every once in a while. Throw a purple one every once in a while. And, you know, a pink one's okay, but you got to mix it up. Why? Because sooner or later, you're going to find out what they'll bite on. And boy, can I tell you, the devil's a good fisherman this morning. The devil's going to keep throwing things out and throwing things out and throwing things out until sooner or later you bite on it. And, buddy, once you bite on it, he's got you. And he knows what you're looking for. And then he keeps using that lure and using that lure. What's he trying to do? He's trying to supply a substitute for God. If you're not careful, your desires, your hobbies, your ambitions, your money, whatever it is, your job, that can take the place of God quick. And understand, that was one of the steps that Manasseh took on his way to a downfall. The Bible says he built altars in the, name of the, in the house of the Lord, whereof the Lord had said, in Jerusalem shall my name be. Folks, can I tell you, one of the best decisions you could ever make is to give God what's his. He said, Jerusalem, this is my space. Nothing else should occupy my space. Kind of like our social distancing we're trying to do, you know. You don't get too close. Uh, I mean, you know, I like to stay some distance with folks. I told my wife, and I can feel folks' breath on my face. I feel the germs just crawling everywhere. So it's not that you have bad breath. I'm just trying to keep the COVID away, all right? And uh, you feel those germs crawling all over, and you just go take that hand sanitizer, and you're just taking a bath in that stuff. And you're trying to keep folks out of your space. Folks, if we work half as hard to make sure we keep stuff out of God's space as we do to keep germs out of our space, I promise you the epidemic of sin and immorality in America would not be spreading worse than this virus. But the problem is we're more concerned about our space than God's space. And God's space has become the cluttered closet of our spiritual lives. Like all of us have a cluttered closet, don't we? We have a junk drawer. It's where everything goes in there. And unfortunately, God has, has been relegated to the junk drawer of our life. Just one of those things in the midst of all those other things. When he says, give me my space. And when you start putting something else where God belongs in your life, I'll tell you what's going to happen. You're on your way to a downfall. Because we see what Manasseh did. He started putting altars uh, in the house of the Lord where God says, that's my space. That's where my name should be. Acts chapter number 17, the apostle Paul speaks to the men at Athens. And what did he say? He came up to Mars Hill. He says, I behold or beheld all of your devotions. They had God for this and a God for this and a God for this. They didn't want to leave any out. All right? They want to touch all the bases. That way, none of the gods, you know, putting voodoo on them. So we covered all the bases. He says, you're too superstitious. He says, your devotion is spread out amongst all of these when they should be devoted to one. He says, him declare I unto you. I want you to understand this morning, we as the people of God, hey, listen, it's so tempting. I get it. I get it. I understand. I'm right there with you. We get so busy in our lives, the next thing we know, we've put something else in the place of God. And understand, when you start putting something where God belongs, it's evident in your devotions that you're on your way toward a downfall. And finally, I'm going to give you number five, and I'm going to let you go. I feel like somebody's marching outside with signs, free the hostages. Look down real quickly, verse number 10. I think it's the first time I've had five points in a long, long time. If you're visiting here today, I usually don't. It's just three, all right? So come back and see us. I promise it'll be shorter next time. Verse 11, verse 10. Look at verse 10. 
And the Lord spake to Manasseh. Stop right there. Aren't you glad? Even on the fourth step toward a downfall, that God loved him enough to speak to him. I read that this morning and I thought to myself, boy, if I was God, that first decision, I hope he'll let me do that in heaven. Just zap somebody. Just, you know, while we're up there in heaven, the world's going crazy down here, God, just, just send one down. Or look, either that or let me try it with a taser with one of you, okay? Now or in eternity. He waited until the fourth step toward the downfall. That's grace and that's mercy. That God, he made a bad decision, headed in the wrong direction. He departed away from what was sure. He had misplaced his devotions and yet God speaks to him. And God says, and the Lord spake to Manasseh and to his people, but they would not hearken. The last thing I want to show you, the last step on the way toward a downfall, toward destruction. It's rooted in our disregard. God called out to him. God said, Manasseh, you're making bad decisions. You're going in the wrong direction. You've departed away from what is sure. Your devotions have been replaced by your desires. And he says, I want you to come back. But notice the Bible says he did not hearken. That means he did not listen. He disregarded God. And I hate to tell you this, one of the last steps that you'll take before reaching a downfall is when you disregard God's pleas to come back. God is faithful. God is long-suffering. My wife and I were talking about long-suffering yesterday. Of how often God is so patient and merciful with us. I mean, I should not even be here today. But by the grace of God, I am. By the mercy of God that allows me to be here and yet there will come a time in your life to where you keep not hearkening. You keep not hearkening. You know what's going to happen? Verse 11, wherefore, God says, okay. God gave them five steps, okay. The Lord brought upon them the captains of the host of the kings of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. Folks, understand this morning it's not God's desire that you come to a downfall. John 10.10, 10, the Bible says it's the thief who's come forth to steal, to kill, and destroy. That's the devil. The devil's the one that don't like you, right? He wants you to think that he likes you, but he don't. The Bible says that our God wants for us life and to have it more abundantly, but sooner or later, you've got to hearken. When he knocks and he calls and he draws and he says, listen to me, you're making decisions that are leading in a direction that's departing away from what's sure and your devotions have gotten replaced by your desires. He says, listen, return. Don't disregard. Don't disregard. And yet Manasseh did that. And we see that God allowed him to be taken prisoner among the thorns. I don't know what's going to happen on Tuesday. I really don't. But I do know one thing. I believe our God has been beckoning to us. You need to straighten out your devotions. You need to let me make your decisions. You need to let me choose your directions. You need to get back over to what was sure and what was solid. And yet if we don't hearken unto God as the people of God, then I believe God is a faithful and just God. He's going to have to allow us to be taken in the thorns. I want you to notice something good at the end before we close. Verse 12 
And when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God. Finally, when he gets caught and he's bound and in fetters, oh, how the mighty have fallen. Manasseh has gone from the throne and now he's a captive. The Bible says in his affliction, he sought out the Lord. But I want you to know something. It didn't have to be that way. You don't have to have the thorns in your life. You don't have to be bound with the fetters. You look up that word bound, it means in a strait. You don't have to get in those straits of life before you call out to God. You can say, God, I've been making bad decisions. God, I've been going in a wrong direction. God, I've departed away from things that are sure. God, my devotions are all mixed up in my life. And before I get to the thorns, I want to stop. I'm so thankful this morning he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I tell you what you got to do, what we got to do, what I got to do. We've got to hearken. Now this morning I wonder if there's not any of these five steps in your heart today. I wonder if there's not some of these steps in your home today. Look, don't take the word of God lightly. Why do you think he recorded this story of Manasseh? He wants us to see the steps that led to his downfall. And listen to me, God's no respecter of persons. He'll let America fall just like Manasseh. If we don't hearken unto him. So this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. We're going to stop right there. Can I ask you, are you destined for a downfall? Are you destined for a downfall? Have you gotten to the place to where your decisions are overriding God's word? That's the first step this morning. You're on your way to a downfall. You know what God says, and yet, no, you're going to do what you want to do this morning. Folks, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm saying it because I love you. I don't want you to reach a downfall, but you've got to realize, in all thy ways, acknowledge him. He's got to make our decisions. Maybe this morning you've been making decisions, and now you've got an established direction that's leading you back to where God brought you from. Folks, listen to me. If you're on your way this morning to a downfall, who wouldn't want to turn back? He's faithful and just to forgive us if we'll just turn back. That's repenting. Revelation chapter 2 in the church at Ephesus, he says, repent, go back, turn from where you're headed. Maybe this morning you've departed away from what's sure. The devil's lured you away from church or lured you away from the word of God or lured you away from where to stand. Maybe this morning your devotions are out of place. And maybe you're on one of the last steps today. You've disregarded God's word. I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to listen. Can I tell you where you're headed? You're headed toward thorns. And you're headed toward in the bonds and being that captive, but you don't have to be. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for the example of Manasseh. Father, how I could see myself in every step of his journey. And Lord, how I found some downfalls in my own life. And Lord, it began with decisions. If there's one here today who's making decisions, overriding your word, Lord, help him repent of that. Lord, we're all prone to it. Or if today we're heading in a direction that's leading us away from what is sure and solid, Lord, help us to see that and confess it and forsake it. Father, if our devotions are not what they need to be, Lord, if we brought something and put it in the place where only you belong, help us to get that right today, Lord. And if we're disregarding your word, we don't want to hear it. We want to get away from it, get away from church. Lord, I pray that, Lord, we repent before it's too late. And Lord, I pray that you'd help our church lead the way to point our country back to you regardless of what happens in this election. And help us to make those decisions right now for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.